Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Caminetti was going. It's sky to left. Deion Sanders at the wall. And Bagwell has his first major league home run. There's a high drive left field. I said he was close to 70. He's on 70. Holy Toledo, what a year for Bagwell. All-star credentials through and through. Oh, love hearing those highlights. And we jump into the time machine for Throwback Thursday. And with Jeff Bagwell's 52nd birthday this week, it's the perfect time to look back at his Hall of Fame career. For this one, we'll listen back to conversations we had over the years with three guys who covered Baggy through most of his career. MLB.com's Brian McTaggart, former Astros broadcaster Greg Lucas, and former Channel 2 sports director and host of Sports Off Center on Channel 55, Craig Roberts. Later in the show, you'll hear from Bagwell himself. Let's get things started with Greg Lucas, who not only covered Jeff on the Astros telecast, but who also wrote about him in his book, Houston to Cooperstown, The Houston Astros, Biggio, and Bagwell Years. Let's make our way to the time machine and reminisce about one of the Astros' all-time greats. What a lot of people don't remember is his rookie year. Rookie year, way before anybody was talking about suspicions of using stuff, he had one of the longest home runs ever hit in Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. I mean, he showed the bat speed and the power uh, way before there anybody suspecting that he might uh, might be using something to make him stronger, which, by the way, uh, he never used anything illegal. Uh, but, uh, no, he, he was just a great talent, and uh, he adapted into the major leagues, uh, developing the power as he got a big league uh, career going. And, and just, just you could tell. And, and don't forget, defensively, until his shoulder went out at the very end of his career, last few years, Maybe the best defensive first baseman in all of baseball by a fairly large margin. Give us one of your two or three favorite stories that kind of entail what Jeff Bagwell meant to the Astros and how he was such an important part of this franchise, basically turning the corner and becoming one of the most respected franchises in the entire National League at that time. The thing that I think Jeff... uh, most people, except those that played with him, don't know about him, as he was such a quiet leader. He had such great respect in the clubhouse. He played the game right, and he hoped people noticed that he played the game right, and then they would play the game right. But if they didn't play the game right, he might say something to them. I'll use one example. When Carlos Beltran first joined this team, he had had a long game, and he'd maybe uh, he thought he twisted an ankle, and at the end of the game, they're in the clubhouse, and the, in, the uh, reporters are all gathered around, and they're saying, well, how is your injury, and blah, blah, blah and all that stuff, and he says, well, I may have to miss tomorrow's game, and so on and so forth. And the reporters leave, and Bagwell comes over to him, and he says, you're playing tomorrow. And he, he, he wondered, what, what's that all about? He says, that's the way we the Astros play. We play. We don't sit out for minor injuries. And, of course, uh, Beltran played the next day. The point is, he hardly knew him because he'd only been with the team for a few weeks, but Bagwell's influence was already shown with Carlos at that point. There were also other indications. I had one personal instance where uh, I was supposed to do an interview with Derek Bell for a pregame interview, and Derek was one of these guys. At this point, he kept saying, well, I can't do it right now. i got to do this. Okay, good. Well, I can do it. And I'm, I'm tying this in with a cameraman and uh, recording time in the, in the truck, and so it's not just me and him. It's, it's, it involves some other people. 
Uh, then, of course, we're getting close down to a deadline. So I, I go over to him and I say, well, not going to do it now. And I do it after batting practice. And then he goes out for the batting practice. And then he heads out to the right field. I'm thinking, well, he's not coming in now until batting practice is over. And that's past my window. So I wrote, so go over to Bagwell. And Bagwell, I tell him, can you do a pregame interview with me? Uh, uh, you know, I've got a problem here. Derek was going to do it. And some things have come up. And he kind of looks out there, Derek. And he says, yeah. And he could tell I was a little... Not real happy to have to do it at that point, but we did it a couple minutes. It wasn't very long. The interview's over. The next thing I, I notice is I look out there, and Bagwell, after he takes his round at the plate, he runs out. He goes out the outfield, and he's sitting in there right next to Derek Bell. And all I know is that never again did Derek Bell give me any static when we needed to do an interview. That was the type of leader that uh, Jeff was. He He did a lot of things that were not really noticed by the average person, but by the players he may have talked to, or in this case, uh, the media person he helped out, he was a leader. And uh, this is all and above all the records you can look up and see what he did on the, at the plate and what he did with stealing bases and what his defensive uh, expertise were. This is all above and beyond that. And this is why he was a true Hall of Famer, a true Astro leader, and uh, a guy that you definitely wanted to go to war with. And the Astro fans are just so happy and so lucky to have him for 15 years. It's almost a shame that the two of them couldn't go in together, Biggie and Bagwell. They were so intertwined. And I, I kind of want to ask about uh, that because I, I wanted to get your opinion on something that you see a lot nationally is that with Jeff Bagwell that they keep talking about, well, since Mike Piazza got in, well, well then they should let Jeff Bagwell in now almost kind of dismissing what his career was and, and what you were just talking about there. You know, it wasn't just the, you know, 1,500 runs plus and, and then the 1,500 RBIs plus that he had during his career, but it was a lot of other things that he was able to do, why he was a great player. And when you played the Astros, you know, you looked at Craig Biggio, but you Jeff Bagwell was the guy. And, you know, it's been so with all the performance-enhancing drugs and uh, suspicions and rumors and, you know, how Jeff Bagwell with the arthritic shoulder and the masking agent with Andrew. How do you respond to kind of all these people nationally who didn't get to watch him on a daily basis? I guess that's my question to you. Well, I, I object, obviously, to them automatically saying, well, he got big and strong. And so, therefore... Uh, he had to do this, and then they'll write a story about something saying that, how did he have that 1994 seat? Well, he had he had done nothing to help physically build himself up before the 1994 season was over. So, number one, that's not true. And number two, he himself has admitted that he did use creatine, and he did try Andro uh, when they were both legal. In fact, they were both GNC products for many, many years, and they were legal not only over-the-counter for anybody, but baseball didn't have any rules against them either at that point. The point being that he actually rejected using both because of the, the creatine can cause a problem with your kidneys if you don't really use an awful lot of water. And the uh, Andro has, a, has also some other side effects, but in his case, he said he didn't notice any difference. So consequently, he was not on any of that stuff when any of it was illegal. He was never on any programs of any official steroids like Winstrol or any of those other things. Never. Never had an injection of anything. So that, that object to that, and he's, he's been quoted on that many, many times. Uh, nobody that worked in the training department has ever even indicated, even like wink, wink, 
that there was anything going on with uh, with Jeff. And that is that is what has always I have objected to. Yes, he knew Ken Caminiti. Ken Caminiti <clears throat> did in fact get involved with hardcore stereos or steroids, but not until and Ken in his in his admissions and all of these things before he died never touched those until he was in San Diego and uh, went across the border and picked up some stuff and they worked for him and then he you know he got involved but that's the sad part because he there's a, there's a relationship and 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 Jeff was a workout freak he never quit working out in the uh, in the gym before and after games and so this is something that uh, people just don't know uh, and, and that's, I think that was why being painted with a broad brush was very sad. I mean, obviously, uh, there will be suspicions about people who are mentioned by others in books, for instance. I have read every single steroid era book ever written from the guy in New York, the trainer to, uh, the, the, the stuff that was put together exposés by a couple of newspaper groups. Jeff Bagwell's name is never, ever been mentioned. Padre Rodriguez's name has been mentioned, and he very well might go into the Hall of Fame this year. Um, and, of course, Piazza's uh, name has been mentioned. But Bagwell's name was never even speculated uh, by anybody in any of those books. And yet, because he was big and strong and he knew some people, he was painted with a brush that caused him to have to uh, to wait. And I think that's just a crime. What was the difference between the leadership styles between Craig and Jeff? Jeff was much quieter. Uh, Craig was much more public, especially with the media. Jeff was not, and that was a big, big difference. Uh, Craig could sometimes rub guys the wrong way because he might be a little bit more uh, outspoken, but Jeff was not. Jeff Jeff was much quieter, and uh, he just had great respect because they all saw how much work he did. They They all saw how much work he did to get ready to play the game, and it rubbed off. You get the idea that those guys are close to this day, or was it more about their baseball relationship than anything else? Well, they're, they're close, but they were never. Yeah, it's baseball mostly. I mean, they're they're friendly, and uh, they've always gotten along. Uh, they had their you know lockers were next to each other, but it was a baseball relationship because they're very different. I mean, uh, Jeff, unfortunately, has had several uh, marital situations. He's had been married three times, and he's very happy now. But he's been married three times, and uh, you know he would uh, he'd, he'd party. Uh, Craig was not that kind of guy. Craig was a family. I mean, he was he and his family all the way, old fashioned, almost you know father knows best type situation. You know, three kids and, and a wife that he's been with since college, and no, they're, they're big big differently. So they're different socially, and they're different off the field. But in playing baseball, they both had one one uh, thing in common, and that was to be as good as they could very much be. They were both very loyal to the team they played for, and they also wanted to set an example for everyone else. That was a guy so many of you remember from his many years on the Astros broadcast, Greg Lucas. Once again, his book is entitled Houston to Cooperstown, the Houston Astros, Biggio, and Bagwell years. Now let's pick up our conversation with MLB.com's Brian McTaggart, who covered Bagwell for many years with the Houston Chronicle. We caught up with McTaggart right off the announcement that Bagwell had made the Hall of Fame. The thing I, I really took it away took away from it were, were some of the stories that, that Jeff told about growing up a Red Sox fan and admiring Carl Yastrzemski and his dad was a big Ted Williams fan and and getting the chance now to go into the Hall of Fame with both of those guys. I mean, that, I just can't imagine what that must be like for him. Just a, a magical 
a magical thing. And, you know, when Biggio went in the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, he really opened up and told all, all sorts of stories that we had never really heard before. I mean, Biggio was a guy who was always great with the media, but he wasn't a great quote. You know, he was kind of cliche-ish, but as, during the Hall of Fame stuff, I mean, he, he was great. He, he poured out all these stories that we'd never heard. And, and I think we're starting to see some of that from Bagwell now. I mean, he, there's nothing else for him to achieve anymore in baseball. He, he can rest easy. He can bear his soul a little bit and tell stories about him and his dad going on the roof when he was a kid and growing up in, in Connecticut to adjust the antenna so they could see the Red Sox play because he had to see Carl Yastrzemski. And, and now he sits back and wonders if, if that happened in Houston, if, if there were dads and sons who, you know, sat down every night just to see him play. And, you know, they were. And I, I think that stuff is kind of hitting him now hard is uh, – just the impact that he had on, on fans in the Houston area and families as, as they grew up and shared the experience of, of watching Bagwell play baseball like he did watching the Red Sox and the Stremski. Now, one of the things that I just find interesting, and I don't know how much you've had a chance to talk about this with him, Brian, is, uh, you know, he could have gone somewhere in free agency. He decides to stay in Houston for his entire career. And, you know, he was a big Red Sox fan. This was his team. He gets drafted by the Red Sox. And then never plays there, ends up with the Houston Astros. Was it ever a thought for him, do you think, to go back to Boston and play for the Red Sox when he had a chance at free agency? Was that something that would have ever crossed his mind? I don't think so. I mean, he never really uh, dipped his feet in the waters as, as much as uh, Biggio did. I mean, there were a couple of times Biggio was a free agent. I know he, he really went to Colorado once. I think Jeff was very much entrenched on staying in Houston. You know, when, when he was traded, his his mother was not happy because, you know, they're Red Sox fans. I mean, it was ultimate. He was in the Red Sox farm system, and he's going to get a chance to play for the Red Sox. And, of course, he was blocked at third base by, uh, you know, a couple of guys. And, uh, you know, Wade Boggs, and they had prospects, Scott Cooper and Tim Nairing and all, all that. But his dad his dad told him, look, this this is a chance for you. You could go play, yeah, and you could be in the big leagues soon if, if going, going to Houston. Now, they – really didn't remember Ken Caminiti was at third base, but uh, Bagwell was such a talented hitter that during that first spring camp, they had to find a spot for him, and they moved him over to first base where there was a hole, and he never never turned back. So, you know, it turned out being a, a blessing in disguise. I mean, uh, Bijou and Bagwell both are East Coast guys, and Bijou is a Mets fan, and I don't think either one of them would, would trade the way it worked out and, and being teammates for 15 years in Houston, and it worked out great for both of them. You covered Bagwell and Biggio for a good deal of their career. It's funny because I think the fans' impression is that Biggio was the guy. He was kind of the fans' guy. He had the, you know, he had the matinee looks and all of that kind of thing. But Bagwell, I, I get the impression that amongst the players, he was the players' guy. You know, he was didn't have the, you know, did look all uh, clean looking, pretty boy. Didn't have the, you know diving into the bases and, you know, all, all of the histrionics maybe that Biggio had. But you heard that there was like the good cop, the bad cop in the locker room, and Biggio sort of played the bad cop and Bagwell played the good cop. Is that kind of what you understand? Well, for my time covering them, they first of all, they're both very professional with the media. You, you would go on the clubhouse after a game, win or lose, and, and they were there. And if you didn't need them, they would hang around and then – on their way to the to get something to eat or shower or whatever, inevitably they would walk by and especially Craig, he said, Do you need me? I'll be like, No, okay. Well he went on about his business. I mean and 
And that's, you know, the, the, the Astros are very good with the media now, but you just don't see a lot of that nowadays. Um, you know, I specifically remember a story during Craig's the final year. It was Hunter Pence's rookie year, and they put Hunter's locker right next to Craig's. Just so, you know, for obvious reasons. I mean, this guy was in his 20th year in the league, and he's done it the right way. So, Hunter, you learned from him. And I remember after um, early in his career, uh, Pence had a big game. So the media is gathered around Pence's locker, and Vizio is, is the locker right next to it, and Hunter's not there, and Vizio's getting dressed, and Vizio's dressed, and he's walking out, and he stops, and he asks me, he says, you know, are you guys waiting on Hunter? And I was like, yeah. He's like, hold on one minute. And then uh, I can hear Vizio's voice muffled in, in the uh, the room where they, you know, their little dinner room there. I can't hear what he's saying, but he's, he's raising his voice. And then I hear a chair, like, you know, back out on the floor. And next thing you know, Hunter Pence comes, you know, quick, quickly walking to his locker, and he's uh, wiping food away from his mouth. So, you know, he stands there and does the interviews. So Vizio got on him about not being at his locker after the game. And the next day, Hunter has another big game. And so we get into the clubhouse, and Pence is at his locker in full uniform waiting for the media. And that's just kind of the weight that not only Craig, but, but Jeff had as well. Uh, back to your point, I think Jeff was the guy more so than Craig as far as the players who wielded the axe as far as do things this way. I mean, I think Craig did it a lot by example, and he didn't have to say it as much. And I think Jeff was the kind of guy who would step up and pull guys aside and say, yeah, you do it this way and you don't. I mean, Lance Berkman told the story about him. Uh, you know, he was he was going to come out of a game in spring training after three at-bats. So he, he was hit by a pitch and went to first base and stepped on the base or walked to the dugout and without any you know anyone coming out to replace him right away. And after the game, he knew Bagwell was mad at him. And Bagwell said, you don't do that. You don't just walk off the field. You have to wait for the guy, that, your pinch runner, to come out. And that's the kind of stuff that, that Bagwell did uh, – uh, Brad Lidge told me the story last month at the winter meetings about, you know, he, he got he got hit really hard in Cincinnati uh, early in his career, and and Jeff pulled him inside and you know gave him some words of encouragement. Don't worry about it. You, you know, you have good stuff. Keep going. Um, you know, when Andy Pettit's elbow was falling apart in the '04 season and he could barely throw 80 miles an hour, you know, he threw six innings against the Mets at Shea, and and Bagwell went up to him and said we admire you and we'll, we'll go to war with you anytime. That's, that's the kind of stuff Bagwell did. Vizio did some of that too, but just looking back at the way they just had such a huge influence over that clubhouse and, and both of them, and they were so tremendously respected and still are when you talk to their former teammates. Yeah, your colleague Allison Footer at MLB.com said that the when the Astros went to the World Series in 2005, the players might have been more excited that he finally got a chance to play in the World Series as much as the, they were that they they themselves got to play in the World Series. Is that the feeling that you kind of got in 2005? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, if you remember that season, in, in May of that season, he had to shut it down because he couldn't take it anymore with his shoulder. So he had surgery, and, uh, you know, the Astros take off while he's on the DL for most of the year. And, and lo and behold, during the playoff race at the end of the year, and, and Jeff comes back, and, you know, he can't play defense anymore because he can't throw. So Jeff comes back as a pinch hitter. You know, he wins a game with a pinch hit. And so they, you know, they make the World Series and, you know, games one and two are uh, in Chicago and Jeff's able to DH. And it was really fitting, I think, that, you know, he he really worked hard to come back and he needed to be in the lineup for the World Series. He even got a hit. He was one for eight in the World Series, had four bats, I think, in uh, in both those games. So, you know, for him, it would have been tough, I think, for him to play all these years, the team finally gets to the World Series, and, you know, he didn't get to play. Now he didn't get to play defense, and, you know, he only got eight at-bats, and he had a hit. But 
you know, he was there for the World Series. He was in the lineup with Craig and Lance and all those guys. And, uh, you know, the only only other piece to the story that is missing is that they didn't win it. They came close. I mean, they were swept, yeah, but six total runs in the series you know, definitely could have went the other way. Brian, you're pretty much like a, an Astros historian. Now you have the book out. Uh, so you know a lot about the history and covering the team. Would you say Jeff Bagwell, best player you've covered so far in an Astros uniform? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, Craig obviously played five years longer and, and played at a very high level in the late 90s. But Bagwell could do a little bit more at his peak, which was 1994. I mean, he drove in 116 runs in 100 games. Uh, he, you know, he broke his hand just before a strike anyway. But, you know, he could hit for more power. He could, you know, hit to all fields. He could run not as good as Craig, but he could still run. I mean, he stole 30 bases. Um, like Craig, he was the guy who changed positions and, and ended up winning a gold glove. Um, he was a great base runner. So but I think the power aspect is, is what pushes him, I think, ahead of Craig a little bit as far as all-around player. And take nothing away from Craig. I mean, he hit close to 300 home runs. But that that 94 season when he won the MVP, um, you know, I saw pretty much all of those games, all, all those home games in person, and it, it was amazing. He, he was two for four every night with a couple RBIs and a home run, it seemed like. I mean, he didn't have a slump, sort of, sort of like uh, – Altuve a couple of years ago when he had 225 hits, uh, Bagwell never had a slump. I mean, no one could get him out, and uh, it was just uh, it was just amazing to, for him to watch the play at that level. And he played at that level for a good six or seven years, and then at a very high level for a few years beyond that. Yeah, Tim Kirchin called him one of the five best first basemen of all time. Actually, yeah, I mean, I would believe it. I mean, you know, I think uh, you know people people sell him short defensively. Great defensive player. Um, and there's more to defense than just, you know, picking it out at first base. And, you know, people think, oh, first base, you can put anybody out there. But, you know, Jeff always knew where to be on the field, knew what base to throw to. And you heard a, a few guys talk at this prep rally, Garner and Brad Osmus, about him fielding bunts. And if you never saw Jeff Bagwell field a bunt on the third baseline from first base and then throw the guy out at second, I mean, nobody can do that. And he, he was just such a great defensive player. And then a great base runner, just instinctively, just one of the best all-around players I've ever seen. That was Astros beat writer for MLB.com, Brian McTaggart. Next up, we're going to hear from my former co-worker and one of the funniest guys in the broadcast business, Craig Roberts. Many of you remember him from his two decades as the sports director at KPRC Channel 2. Craig covered Bagwell from the very start of his career, so I asked him what he remembered about a young Jeff Bagwell. Well, it was so funny. I happened to be in Kissimmee the day they walked him from third base to first base. And I remember being very insightful, turning to Rick McFarlane, my longtime photographer. And I said, hey, what are they doing? (laughs) Well, what they were doing was setting the stage for a guy that would eventually be in the Hall of Fame. What I remember most about Jeff is who wouldn't have given all they could to be a major league baseball player. But you know, and it's like these guys today, you know, the iron, the days of the Iron Man are almost over. Everyone's got to sit it out every once in a while. And so I'm sitting in the Astros dugout and Bagwell is saying, man, I can't believe we had a night game. Now it's a day game. You know, I know I'm, it's just a ball game, but man, every day. And I said, you know, I, I have a buddy who's a photographer for Playboy magazine in Chicago. And he says the same thing. And Bagwell just took his cap off, looked at me, and said, oh, you got to be making that up. <laughs> the guy, what? He just could not believe that a guy who was around uh, nude or semi-nude women all day 
wouldn't want to go to work. I'd just rock him. <laughs> it's always fun with Craig Roberts. You never know what Craig's going to say, and you just hope it's PG and not R-rated material. Let's finish up with an interview that ESPN's Buster Olney did with Bagwell on his podcast. Let's pick it up a few minutes into their conversation. Tell me about how you got the word about the trade of you to Houston for Larry Anderson and what your emotions were at that time. <laughs> well, I was in double-A. Um, we were playing uh, the Yankees in Albany. We had to win one game to get to the playoffs. And we were taking batting practice. Butch Hobson was throwing batting practice. And uh, our pitching coach, uh, Rich Gale, went out to him. And he threw the bucket of balls on the ground. And he said, Bagwell, i got to talk to you. And so we went to the dugout. And he told me I got traded. I was like, what? I mean, I was pretty close to leading the league and hitting and doing what I, you know, I was doing pretty well. And I'm like, what do you mean I got traded? And he's, I said, for who? And he said, for Larry Anderson. And I said, I don't know who Larry Anderson. And I said, but okay, so what does that mean? He's like, well, you're not playing here anymore. And he was very upset. But, you know, it, it just it was, I got a chance that night to spend the time with the team. And we all went to dinner and <clears throat> just such a good bunch of guys. And, um, you know, it's a very, very special time in the minor leagues because nobody has anything. Nobody's like the superstar. Nobody's – everybody makes the same amount of money. I think we made like it was like $1,200 a month. Um, you know, so we all helped each other out. It was just a special time. And then my father came and picked me up from Albany and came back and said, hey, you know, I was looking. I said, you might – he said, you might have a chance on that team. He said, at that particular point, Cammy had hit like 247 or something like that. And I was like, man, I could hit 250, I probably. Um, <laughs> but – you know, it, I don't know. It, it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my career. My family was devastated because I was moving my way to Boston. And, um, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And, and it was good because it's, you know, told me about the business of baseball. You know, and it's, it, it's a positive thing that I can relate to kids now, too. Is that, I mean, don't worry about that, you know, Carlos Correa is playing shortstop. You just do your thing and, and make them move you. And, you know, that's uh, just it's such a blessing to have that happen to me. Okay, tell me about the first time you met Craig Biggio. Tell me about the first time you uh, met Ken Caminiti. Well, Craig Biggio, I went, uh, after I got traded, I went to, uh, I think it was like a fan fest, and Craig was there, and he um, he was trying to grow a mustache, and it was awful. Um, so he was kind of making <laughs> fun of himself to the fans, and I was like, yeah, that's terrible, man. But uh, he was great, and Cammy was, I mean, I was basically coming in there to take his job, and uh from day one that I got off the plane to go to spring training, he picked me up. Uh, we went and worked out together. Uh, he could not have been any better. And if you know Cammy, I mean, he's kind of an intimidating dude when you're, when you're around him. Um, he looks like he's going to oh, yeah. you at any particular second. Uh, but he was absolutely wonderful. He's got the biggest heart in the entire world. You know, thoroughly missed. All right. So how does the conversation happen that you're going to move from third base to first base? <laughs> well, it was 10 days left in spring training. Cammy was – you know, we laugh in baseball. He was like, you know, 50 for 20. Um, he seemed like he got a hit every single time out. So my dad had told me he was there. He said, well, Tucson's not that bad. So I figured I was getting sent down. I got called into Bob Watson's office, and he said, uh, hey, you can play third base in AAA or you can play first base in the big leagues. You know, not being that bright, I can figure that one out. Um, so I just went on a crash course with um, Bob Robertson um, to learn how to play first base in 10 days. Uh which was wonderful. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun, a lot of work. Um, you know, when you're a kid and you get a chance to play in the big leagues, it just, uh, it was an amazing time um, for me. And it went so quick thinking that I was going to get sent down to actually knowing that I'm going to play in the big leagues. 
That was ESPN's Buster Olney from a few years back on the Baseball Tonight podcast. What a great storyteller Baggy is. I hope you enjoyed our look back at Jeff Bagwell's career. Make sure to check our archives to listen to all of our Throwback Thursdays. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.